Hello, everybody. This is Ulrich. This is Thursday, three full days late on delivering this podcast to you. Um, I don't want to make excuses for myself, but it is largely or entirely because I am working on the alternate um, every day. Lots of things happening, lots of exciting stuff. But yeah, so my apologies on the late episode. Um, I'm also, uh, you know, sorry because we didn't get to promote further Liz Manischel's screening of her film, uh, Speed of Life, at um, the Brave Maker Film Festival special screening that's tonight in a few hours, which I will not be able to go to, also due to the alternate, um, my love of my life right now, this movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I wanted to just uh, let you guys know about this episode we've got today. This is a wonderful filmmaker and producer Dave Bunsen on the episode. Uh, this is an episode that I did with uh, Samia Salami, wonderful co-host, uh, before Liz Manichel took over the reins. So this is a non-Liz episode. We have like, uh, actually probably quite a few non-Liz episodes um, coming up just because of... Uh, you know, I, I recorded a lot in advance that haven't been released yet, and we t- we've been tending to release the ones that we've been recording with Liz first, just because various reasons, um, especially like Alex Wolf or the Greener Grass episode that's coming out next week. Those just are on timeline. So anyways, all right. Sorry, enough rambling. Um, but yeah, my apologies again for the lateness of this episode. Uh, it was a really great one. Dave talks about, um, you know, making his horror short films and, you know, why he decided to do uh, his films the way that he did them and his whole strategy as a filmmaker. Um, he, he's, his films are really great, by the way. If you haven't seen them yet, Tap. Um, I can't remember the names of the other ones <laughs> right now. Uh, Devil's Passenger. Yeah, that's the other one. And gosh, the, what's the third? I can't remember the third. But they're all really great. I think they're all online, too, so you can watch them now. Um but, uh, but yeah, I uh, hope you guys like this episode. And, yeah, I'm going to be doing some ramblings about the alternate as I get closer to production and even in production. And I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with the ramblings, but um, I'm going to put them out somewhere just so people can, you know, just like kind of like a- Andrew Schrader encouraged me to do this. Just like, you know, kind of chronicle like my state as I make this film, which is like, you know... I mean, it's like the best thing in the world and also the toughest thing in the world. That's sort of like the best way to describe it. It's like I'm living the dream in all the great, best, amazing ways. And it's also like every hour of every day I work on this movie and it just there's never ending amount of things to do. But I'm, I'm loving it. It's great. I'm, uh, I'm very lucky that I get to make this movie. So anyways, without further ado, here is episode 231 with Dave Bunsen on Making Horror Short Films with co-host Samia Salami. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Samia Salami and... And I'm R. Purcell. And this week, we're excited to welcome filmmaker Dave Bunsen to the show. Uh, Dave is a Bay Area filmmaker who has made well over a dozen short films and re- has recently focused, uh, shifted his focus entirely into the horror short films, which I saw and were brilliant, and has made three horror short films in the last two years. Um, I'll let Dave take it from here. Cool. Well, thank you, gang. Um, it's awesome to be here. I'm going to like now really trump you guys up, being that this is a podcast, 
you know, I was in your green room and it was massive. I couldn't believe, you know, all the help. <laughs> you know, I really appreciate the PA wow. and the, you know, the limo yeah. that brought me here and kind of sat me down. It's like... Only I, the best for our guests, right? Yeah, I didn't know you guys would give me a wet bar. It's like incredible. And I'm sitting in the in the Making Movies is Hard hot tub as I'm sitting here doing this podcast. Nice. It's fantastic. Oh my God, did you yeah, get it's, your... it's pretty great. Yeah, you guys are impressive, man. For whew, I can't wait for the Making Movies is Hard... Uh, TV show to come out because I'll be all over that. Just wait for like the 30 minute mark because then we'll have someone's going to come in with a little plate of caviar, you know, and some crackers and a little champagne. So, oh man, my know. head's not going to fit through the door. <laughs> Did you get our custom uh, Making Movies is Hard Japanese waffle bat robe? Oh, I'm wearing it right now. Can't you tell? Oh, cool. Very and for cool. all you uh, listeners out there, it looks fantastic. Just so I wanted to let you know. <laughs> Nice. So, Dave, um, for people who don't know who you are, just give us a quick one-minute bio, like your background, how long you've been making movies, what you do for a living, all that good stuff. Okay. Uh, my name is Dave Bunsen. I am a Bay Area filmmaker. I've been making movies for a long time, um, close to 30 years now. Um, started when I was 10 years old, and I've been in, recently I've actually been making a lot of content uh, specifically online and in the horror genre. Nice. And so when we said well over 12 short films, like how far off were we? Like how many short films have you actually made? Um, I think I've made close to 60 or 70. Holy shit. Um, now <laughs> that's my whole, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a spring chicken here, so <laughs> I'll kind of say that. But as far as um, yeah, I've made a I've made a ton of stuff, um, and but I would say that um, I really started back into filmmaking around you know I had taken a, a little bit of a break and kind of came back to filmmaking in uh, 2011. And when I did that, um, nice. since then I've probably made about close to about 20, 25 shorts in that time. Oh wow. And so how many are actually online? Are all 25 on either of your YouTube channels? Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> no, um, it, um, I basically, you know, I'm like every filmmaker. After you get done with something, you're like, oh, God, I hate this. And so I've, uh, I take down a lot of the older stuff, um, but... I pretty much have been kind of shifting, um, because before I was kind of like, I would say with the type of filmmaking I was doing, I was really just trying everything. And I wanted to kind of just flex the muscle as far as like, I tried all these different genres and all these different things. And I've taken all that stuff off and now I'm really focusing only oh, wow. on the horror stuff. So. Wait, so you don't have your older short films just on your Flix Digital YouTube channel? You I do. Some I do. They, okay. Yeah, there's still um, there's some fun stuff that's still there and that's uh, that's worked out pretty well. But as far as the majority of it, um, yeah, I've kind of taken that stuff off. Wow, interesting. I I never really think to take my stuff down. I mean, you know, I don't promote the older stuff necessarily. You know, but like I have things that I made when I was you know in high school that you can find online. Oh, that's I'm cool. Totally fine with that. You that's know? awesome. Really. Like, yeah, if you guys want to see it, like, it's there, you know? You know I'm looking um, it up. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I really, like, I, I, I call, like, Strange Thing my first short film, you know, because it's, like, my one that I really, like, did with a crew and everything. But I probably made, you know, at least six before that. Um, but I just, you know, I don't necessarily 
count those, but they are they do exist in the world, you know, and I'm totally fine with that. That's but, cool. Uh, but I don't know. I kind of feel like, yeah, as long as it's like not embarrassing, like why not? You know, um, or even if it is a little embarrassing, well, those were definitely embarrassing. <laughs> those were embarrassing. I mean, the stuff the stuff that I left on is pretty embarrassing, but I'm a, you know whatever. You know, I mean, fine. it shows your progress though as a person as as an artist. You know, That's I think true. it's actually yeah. kind of cool. Oh, thanks, Amia. <laughs> yeah, that is you know, and the, the thing is, is that you can definitely see a progression with somebody when you do it that way too, which is great. So, so I this is not on the on the outline, but like when you first started making short films, like were you doing actual film or were you doing video? Like, what was the when you first were making movies? What were you using? Okay, um, so. How I started, really started making movies is um, I was 10 years old, and my parents went and took me to go see Swiss Family Robinson at a drive-in theater. And I was watching the movie, wow. and the movie was just friggin' horrible. And I just could not get into it. It was really boring. And it was one of those theaters where one screen kind of pointed one direction, and then kind of off to like you know the immediate left is another screen and that other cars would be pointing that direction and what was playing on that screen was Jaws and went and basically watched oh wow yeah <laughs> and so I was 10 and my parents had taken me to the civil feature and they're thinking oh you know watching you know Walt Disney G-rated goodness and I just couldn't stand it and so I ended up watching Jaws twice without sound and it was when I watched it, I just was like, I'm so blown away by the power of it and just the energy and just saw it from a visual perspective only, no sound. And so the next day went out and made a little boat and I got a rubber shark and hooked it onto a fishing line and got my dad's Super 8 camera, which did not shoot video. This is Super 8 film. And we went out and we made Jaws Jr. And... Um, from then wow. on, I have been making films ever since, and my parents used to pay me, instead of an allowance, they would pay me in movie film. And Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> and it was uh, it was just a different era then, you know, because it was a stage where, you know, it's not like the internet where you had like, you know, I don't know how to do this, so I'll just look it up. I mean, I'd have to go to the library, and my library at the time had like three books on filmmaking, and one was like makeup, and it was like, really? You know, and... And so it was just a, it was a lot of really, really watching everything and trying to pay attention to understanding framing and all this kind of thing. And so it was a, it was a interesting journey to really kind of take it from that stage. But I think now uh, filmmakers really have a, a pretty amazing uh, luxury as far as being able to find everything that they ever would need to be able to make a film. So it's. A, so did you go to school for filmmaking? I did. Um, for. Okay, so where, where did you go to college? I went to Columbia College Hollywood in Hollywood. Oh, wow. And, wow. Uh, yeah, and just, um, I studied there, um, and when I got done, I started off as a PA, and, um, which, if, for those of you that may or may not know, is a more, you know, more, more or less a glorified gopher, you know, getting coffee, that <laughs> right. kind of thing. And worked my way up uh, to producing and um, started producing commercials, um, did a lot of content that way. And all, all out in Los Angeles? This is all in L.A. And wow. um, what ended up happening was 
I was doing a lot of content, um, and I was working both in, you know, this is when uh, commercials were being shot with 35 millimeter, and I would produce that kind of stuff, and I would also work on video content that would be shot with like BitSP, that kind of thing, and what was I was watching was, I was like going, you know, when is this video stuff going to kind of take over the film stuff. And I mean, this is before Red or any of that, but I mean, you could just kind of see that that was where it was going to happen. And what ended up happening was I, I started a business and I left the industry and I left it for 10 oh, wow. years. Yep. I left for 10 years. What, 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 what business did you start? I started a company that was called CrewNet and it was the first online job resource for the entertainment industry to find jobs. And this is before Monster. This is this is like 1994. This is really, really early. Like you wow. know, like AOL like had like five million subscribers at this point. I mean, it was like just a really, really early stages of the internet. And wow. um, so we did that, and it was a pretty successful business. Um, and I did that until um, you know I sold the business off at like 2009, and uh, you know, basically, with um, moved up here, remarried, and my when my wife and I were on our honeymoon, um, I said, you know, I, I I had just bought this like little HD camera, and I mean, this thing is like small, like maybe six inches, and I right. said, do you mind, Would you mind if I like videotaped this and just made like a little movie out of it? And she's like, Oh, sure, thinking that it was going to be like something cheeseball. And when we got done, and I got back, I edited this thing together, and she's like, oh, my God. And it was like, you know, because I had all this, like, it really, really made something pretty stylized. And she's like, why are you not doing this as a job? I mean, this is what you do. This is your passion. And so that was what really kind of refueled me and getting me back on track and got brought me back to filmmaking. And um, Wow. Yeah. And early days were just... I didn't have actors or anyone. I basically would just set up the tripod and I would act and brought in my dog or whatever <laughs> and just kind of started it that way. And over time and over the since uh, 2011, I've been just slowly building it up and just been, you know, kind of baby stepping it into a higher and higher level. Wow. I, I was just I never deep dove through your uh, IMDb until now, and I'm seeing like all these movies that you worked on in the early '90s, like being a first assistant camera person, or even an art director on yeah. a feature. I think I see here or two features even. Yep. Um, it's kind of like amazing um, the the background that you have, uh, but uh, yeah, that's nuts that you you know worked on that stuff and then yeah, did your own business and now you're back. It's crazy. Well, and you know, I think that that transition um, for that 10 years was actually the best thing that could have happened because from 2001 to 2011, that was the transition from where we went into digital. And, right. that, and that was also like the emergence of like online content where you started seeing like you know, YouTube emerging and you started seeing all of these, you know, distribution sources, Vimeo, so on, um, coming out. And so when I got back into it, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. These are all the things I've been wanting to be able to do and now I can actually do it and be able to make the content and be able to reach a global audience. So it's really, really exciting. Oh, nice. What, what the main question I guess I have is like, why 
did you not uh, go to L.A. once you made this decision to go back into filmmaking? Um, I think part of it was the the I wanted to kind of see where it was going to go. Um, you know, having been in L.A., and L.A. is obviously very much of an industry city, and I've shot in L.A. before, and I know, you know, like stealing shots, doing guerrilla filmmaking, doing DIY style is a little bit more challenging there. And I also wanted to really kind of hone my skills before I went back. And I just was, uh. I think that was the biggest thing was that I had produced, but I was now really pursuing like, okay, I'm going to be writing and directing. And the writing and directing thing had been, you know, I'd always directed smaller projects, but really taking on this and just saying, okay, this is now going to be the three things that I'm going to kind of be known for. Um, I really wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in, in a row before I came back. Wow. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about your work is that you have spent a lot of time like in the industry and kind of knowing what you wanted to do. And it's interesting now that you're settling into horror and I'm just curious about how, you know, your journey with that, your journey with figuring out what kinds of films you wanted to make. Well, you know, it was interesting was when I was going through that stage of where I was trying genres. I went through and I, I made like an action, a couple of action adventure comedies, and I made a, a film that's, uh, that's basically called The Maestro, which is a, a film basically all told in a woman's voice. It's very European feeling. And, you know, I had made a mystery and, you know, I had made all of these other things. And I was kind of like just like kind of putting my, my feet into all of these different pools of genres and styles. And what happened was uh, it was like the beginning of October. And this is like 2012. And a, a buddy was like, hey, you, know, you should, we should make a short film for Halloween. And so I wrote a script over the weekend and um, we shot in one day. And uh, we edited it in a couple of weeks, and, and we got this thing out. And this film is called Siri, which is about basically this guy that uh, his Siri on his iPhone becomes self-aware. And, um, and Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, and it just, uh, what was fun about it was, this is when Siri was really young. I mean, this is like Siri version point, you know, one, I guess. And, you know, we didn't even have it like, uh, it only worked on one of the phones that we actually had when we shot the thing. And this was lean. I mean, I had a makeup artist, I had a, a sound person, me, and the actor. And that was it. And we went out and did this, and it was really, really well received. And that, I think that was kind of the wake-up call of like, okay, you know, this this one felt really good, and this was really well received. And, you know, I, I ended up doing a few other films in between that but then once I kind of like kind of got all that out of my system I was like you know I really have kind of been making movies for a lot of other you know reasons or for other people and now I want to make a film for me and I think the other thing that had happened was I made a animated film that's called TBP and TBP is a about four and a half minute fully animated short film and it took two and a half years to make and um, it was the longest I'd ever taken to make a short film. And because of that, I mean, by the end of it, I was just like, I was just so happy to be done with the movie because, I mean, all my other stuff takes like four months. 
And, right. uh, <laughs> you know, two and a half years is a long, long time, especially for, like, you know, such a small, we had a really micro-sized crew. I had one animator, and it was just a long process. But it was a good learning experience because when I got done with it, I was like, okay, I had been writing, and I had, I so I wrote Tap, Devil's Passenger, and Window Dressing right towards the end of getting that film done. And so when TBP finally got out, and it was kind of well-received and kind of not, um, it just said, okay, I want to make something that I can hit the ground running, and I can make something that I feel that really is going to represent me. And so that's when I made Tap. Nice. So why, like, what has your approach been, like, with these movies? Like, why did, like, have you, like, I, like I noticed, like, your earlier films all have festival laurels on them, but these last three don't. Right. Like, why, like, why did you make that decision to not do festivals? Well, what I've kind of found is that the festivals have, I've been accepted into uh, quite a few, and it's been great as far as that goes, but... When it really comes down to it, I just haven't gotten a lot of traction from it. And I think that now it just feels like, you know, when you go into Film Freeway, there are so many festivals and it gets overwhelming. I mean, you look at like this list and you're, you know, I'm, I have like my criteria that I use of like, okay, it's got to be a festival that's been around for a certain amount of time and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you're really, it's, it's a crapshoot. I mean, you're trying to, make the best choices um, to get awareness for your film. And, you know, we've all done the thing where you try to submit it to, like, a, a Sundance or something like that. And it just seems like there's a certain bar that's um, for certain filmmakers. And for horror stuff, that doesn't necessarily fit always. And um, so I, when I went to do TAP, I really was thinking, okay, I want to make something that really works for a mobile device. I want to make something that you can watch on a phone. And that was one of the reasons the film is only about two and a half minutes long. Um, this, it really, it hits to where if you're, you know, watching this in a non-immersive environment, so if, like you're watching it on a phone on, on a train or on a bus or something like that, you're going to get the gist of the movie. And so, and I've, I've seen Tap actually, you know, on the big screen before. And it plays fast, but it plays perfect for mobile, and it plays perfect for YouTube. And that was really what I was kind of going for with that. Well, it's interesting because, like, you know, I don't, I don't go to a ton of film festivals, but I've been to, you know, a bunch, you know, in the past. And there are a lot of festivals that will program these two- or three-minute movies, you know, in a chunk of shorts or even before a feature or whatever. So I kind of feel like these last three seem really festival um, friendly in a lot of ways because they're really direct. They're to the point. They're so on genre to, in, in the way that a lot of uh, short films aren't, you know, these days where they're like kind of, you know, meandering or even have like multiple genres within them, you know, which I'm definitely guilty of, you know, but I mean, these are like, like purely horror movies, you know? So I feel like a horror film festival would, would eat these up big time. Yeah, you know? I agree. Yeah, I think that, you know, at this stage, I have kind of a love-hate relationship in the sense that, you know, and I shouldn't say love-hate, I have a love-dislike, let's just say it that way, um, towards... <laughs> I, but I can, I can relate to what you're saying, so, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that when it comes to it, I mean, I have what the also the goal was, was when I got tap done, I went and said, okay, I want to create three films, and I want to create them quick, and I want to create them where I have a body of work. 
Um, and I just kind of felt like, all right, well, if the film festival thing works, and you know, film festival, for those that may or may not know this, it's it's a long process. I mean, when you actually submit, it's probably anywhere from a six month to an eight month you know process of actually before you hear a response back. You know, depending right. on what you're doing. Um, but I mean, and depending on the festival, but that just seems like a, a kind of like the normal thing. And yeah, when a I, festival run generally is like a year to to a two years even right year and a half. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I just didn't have the time for that. And because I knew when, as soon as I got Devil's Passenger finished, I knew I wanted to do another film immediately. And so I just I've put like a couple in to some, you know, kind of submitted just to, you know, to see what would happen. But I'm going to be starting to get responses from that probably in the next couple of months. So to be honest, I don't even know how well these will work uh, because I've been kicking them out so rapidly. And, um, well, you know, I feel like these days film, films being online on YouTube and being, you know, like submitted to film festivals, that doesn't seem to matter as much, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that just because your movies have been out for you know you know eight months, like six months, whatever, you know, a week in in this case, I don't think that film <laughs> festivals are going to really care, you know. <laughs> right. That, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. As long as they're like good movies and they're like filling the 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 genre that they want to fill, you know. And uh, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you've made these three that all kind of, yeah, they fit together really in a nice way. And I think that was obviously intentional. Like they're all kind of, you know, um, I wouldn't say different flavors of the same ice cream, but like maybe something like that, you know, where it's like they're all different stories, but they all have the same kind of like feeling and vibe and style, which, you know, I think was intentional, right? Well, and kind of. And some of it was not intentional and it just kind of was a happy accident, which is also the awesome thing about filmmaking. Um, I knew that, you know, when I got tap done, I tap, I really made to be a scene and I just wrote it as a scene and I wanted to, you know, kind of make something that would just hit hard, hit fast and, you know, really, um, kind of set the tone, create a mood. And when I went to do Devil, I wanted to do, or Devil's Passenger, I really wanted to make it where it was more of a horror adventure story or mystery story. And so it has kind of that kind of a vibe to it where you're kind of being, you know, led through this thing and she takes action and it's, you know, really handy to kind of go down that road. Uh, Window Dressing, which is the new film that just was released a couple of days ago, um, is more of a corkscrew style. And so it, that one I really wanted to kind of do something where uh, it's not as obvious and just really kind of like really set the tone and just make it build and build and build and build that tension up throughout it. So that was kind of the, the goal of the three. Yeah, I, I would agree that window dressing is the most different of the two because or the three because the other two like kind of had the same like, you know, something happens, the reaction uh, the you know by the lead character and then it's like the the the, the climax of the finale right. basically mm-hmm. and so they all the, those first two kind of follow that but then window dressing is a little bit different because you know our protagonist is protagonist doesn't really know anything is wrong or you know it's it's not really it's not the same kind of setup 
I right. guess. Right. Although the ending is kind of similar, you know, in, in the sense of the, of the finale, which is brilliant, by the way. Oh, thanks, um, man. You know, I, and I love, I mean, this is, but these are made for me. I love this kind of stuff. These, these are all very Twilight zone you know, all feel like they could be part of, yeah, uh, I don't know if you watched, like, um, those old uh, anthology films from the 80s. Uh, gosh, what are they called? I can't remember, like, The Dark Side or something. Um, oh, Tales of the, like, Tales of the Dark Side, Creep Tales Show. Tales of the Dark Side, and then Creep Show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that They kind of feel like those kinds of stories, basically. Yeah. Um, or like, I don't know if you watch Crypt TV at all, if you're yes. familiar with that channel, yeah, but very much so. they, they, they all feel like they would fit on Crypt TV, you know, like in the way that like, if you watch like, you know, eight shorts on Crypt TV, they all kind of feel different, but similar. Like, I feel like this would fit, these would fit in there perfectly, you know? Well, and I think that that's what you're seeing right now. I mean, we're in a stage where I feel that. You know, I know that a lot of people always look at like horror and say, "Oh, the golden age was like you know the the Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman of the '50s era." But I I don't agree with that at all. I think we're in the golden age of horror right now. Um, you see, like, well, or like the late '90s is another time where people yeah. are saying like you know where you you could make a horror movie for whatever a hundred thousand dollars and then like you know sell it internationally on dvd or whatever and then like make you know millions of dollars or whatever yeah um but like i i kind of just missed out on that time because by the time i was making movies like the dvd era was kind of over you know right um and like it's not really profitable in that same way i but i still feel like you're right like horror is still a popular genre well, and I think that especially with what you're seeing with Blumhouse and, you know, seeing how they've approached film, uh, they've really kind of taken a page of the Roger Corman style of filmmaking where it was like, you know, we're going to get find a, a director that's basically made a film or made a couple of films. We're going to give you five million bucks, basically go out and make your film um, and make sure that it can follow within that. And then as far as that goes, then we're going to give you distribution. And, you know, if you're after distribution if it's like even five million dollars for marketing ten million dollars and you're on average they make like 25 to 35 million dollars that's incredible profit margin which is great but i mean i feel like you know if you look at the model you're comparing blumhouse to to roger corman i, I don't know what roger corman's budgets were but i mean whatever the five million if, if it was five million for roger corman back in the day like five million now is more like 20 million back when in the 80s or the early 90s or well they were a lot the they budget. were a lot less yeah and yeah I, I just think that it's just a really smart business model and i think that yeah we're at a stage now where if you really are kind of conscious of like okay let's create content that kind of works within that kind of a framework because you know that's the beautiful thing about horror is that you know it always comes back to the story i mean the story is right. number one most important thing and you can go and you don't necessarily have to have the best cast uh, or as far as like star power, you don't have to have a A-listers. It helps. But, but with $5 million, like you can get really good cast these days. Absolutely. You know, which, you can. which is the thing. It's like, you know, if someone had $5 million and they were ready to go make a horror movie, like they could probably make one, like get really good cast attached and they could probably uh, sell it internationally and then, you know, get distribution for it, you know, with the right, you obviously have to have the right connections. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just a matter of having 
having $5 million to spend, which, you know, I don't think investors want to spend that kind of money, especially on a first time filmmaker, you know. And that's not what their model is either, is they're not actually looking for first timers. They're looking for filmmakers that have actually made films. I think right. that what I'm looking at is more of like, you know, and, you know, I came from the era of like the Blair Witch and, you know, uh, Paranormal Activity and which that's really, I think for me, was what I look at for a feature is like, okay, how do we tell a great story and, and, and basically do it very inexpensively, you know, hopefully attract maybe an actor that is recognizable, but, you know, if not, you know, just make the story that's so strong that it makes it very, very compelling. And I think that that's just something right now that is really a huge opportunity. And I'm seeing this with, you know, a lot of the filmmakers that are kind of coming out um, that you can kind of see that that's where they're kind of heading with this. Um, and I think that that would be something that is, for me anyway, I think that's like the next logical step. I think it's really interesting to be in this place with horror right now. Um, because you're saying um, that the, the horror industry is, this is basically the renaissance, renaissance time for it. I think for me, as someone who's not particularly interested in horror and has never really been, I think what's interesting is to be in this post-Jordan Peele time where people like me, who may not have been interested in horror, are like mildly interested in it from that story perspective, right? And I think like maybe the industry is changing or has shifted in the post-get-out space. And I wonder what you think of that. Do you think that the way horror directors are approaching horror now has changed post-get-out? I think it's it really helped us broaden you know the landscape as far as how we tell stories now. And I, I mean, Get Out is just a, I just love that film. I just thought it was just incredible and in what he was able to pull off with that. And I'm what I'm seeing now that is just beyond that is like you know and like what they did with the, uh, what they've been doing with the Twilight Zone and how they've been releasing that online has been really amazing too because it definitely has a Twilight Zone vibe to it but it's like now it's very much of a modern day Twilight Zone and it's just refreshing to kind of see like new store uh, kind of a new spin on that and because it's. For me, I, how I look at this is that, and this is one of the things, I mean, I'm a, I guess I'm a Netflix junkie in the sense, <laughs> I like, you know, I like to watch a lot of what's out there, but I like to watch a lot of stuff that's from every, you know, from everywhere. And like one of the shows that I've been watching a lot of is, is Dark, which is out of Germany. And it just has such a great voice. And we're in that, that era now where we can basically make content that's reaching a global audience. And so you see like with what, you know, uh, Get Out has done and to this country, but you know, what I want to kind of do is like challenge filmmakers and myself, like how do we make content that can reach, you know, a broad, uh, a really the broadest audience possible? And how do we really tell stories that are going to reach to, you know, and have that feel for a different country and so on? Yeah, you know, what I hope, I mean, I don't really know what it's done necessarily uh, for horror, but like, or for filmmaking in general. But when I was like pitching the alternate to producers, like, you know, probably before Get Out came out, uh, I would like talk about wanting to put a non-white lead in the movie. 
and people were saying like no like you can't you can't put a black actor in it you can't put a mexican actor in that role it has to be a white guy you know and i'm like dude like they're like germany they're not gonna buy a movie if it's got a white a non-white person in it like oh they don't care and uh i just feel like what get out has done has proven that to be false Absolutely. and then with this is us uh you know or us after it um you know I feel like it's just continuing to prove that, you know, and what I'm hoping it's going to do is that we're going to start to see more films that feature uh, non-white leads uh, in them, you know, across the all ethnicities, you know, and that's not going to be this thing that is looked down on like it has been for the last like hundred years of filmmaking. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know if that's true or not, <laughs> like because we because really like besides, uh, you know, Jordan Peele's movies, like how many other movies have we seen? Uh, you know, with, uh, you know, non-white leads. I guess we've seen like Crazy Rich Asians, which was good. And yeah, Always Be My Maybe is another example, whether, you know, those are two Asian-led casts, you know. Um, but yeah, it's still like few and far between. And I, and I feel like it should, like I want it to be like the norm, you know. Well, and I think that I want to make it where, and maybe this is just, you know, just being ambitious or, you know, let's move away from the whole thing of like, you know, let's just find the best actor that can do the job. And, you know, if that is African-American, if that's Asian, if that's whoever, let's just get them in there. And, you know, but make sure that the story relates to that. And, you know, just, and not be so like, okay, let's make the same story over and over again. And I, and that's one of the things right now that I think that horror is doing kind of really well versus like, you know, how many superhero films are really deviating from the model of superhero films? And, right. you know, and Not that's, many. yeah, <laughs> and because it's a tried and true model. And, you know, and they also have so much riding on it. But with horror, if you have something where you have a smaller budget, you can take those risks. And that's one of the things that, for me, is really enticing, is that you can go and tell a story that's just, you know, out there. And you can still have the ability to be able to do that, where... And as long as I think that for me anyway, I, I what I'm always kind of looking at is that as long as it's going to, you know, just be true to yourself, you know, you've got to make something that's and that's the thing I love about Jordan Peele's stuff is that he's making he's like, you know, I'm making stuff that what I want to tell. I want to I've been always wanting to tell these films or these stories. And now I'm having the ability to do that. And yeah. it's just, it's really, really refreshing to see that. And it's like, I mean, I loved Us. I thought Us was just such a cool, just a, a great yeah. story. And it just made, had such a human side to it. And um, really great horror, great tension, just um, just a fun film. I like that it lit, leaned into the genre even more than uh, Get Out did. And it was like really kind of a little wacky. Um, and I really appreciated that. Yeah. A little on the <laughs> experimental they went, side. They went for it. Yeah, yeah, it did. It totally did. And, yeah. And that's what's just, and again, it's like, that's what makes it wonderful is that you can, all of that falls into that horror genre and it's, and you can get away with it, which is cool. Um, I think yeah. that's one of the things that also is nice. You know, I've dealt with a lot of um, genre-specific groups, you know, for drama or for animation or, you know, for comedy and so on. And horror has always been, in my opinion, the nicest, friendliest group of people to deal with. I mean, it's like, I just, I think that a lot of it is just that it's always had that stigma of the redheaded stepchild and, 
you know, the you know, the not so important genre, you know, even like Universal, which kind of built its whole foundation on horror, it always that kind of was like, well, you know, we did horror, but we're really about drama. And now it's like, it's just fun to kind of see how it's kind of risen to this acceptable level. So it's pretty cool. Nice. So um, I'm just curious about these three short films and making them because you shot what, like, like, within a year did you shoot all three of these or yeah. was it like uh, yeah just about a year okay yeah um so what was the biggest challenge in doing these so quickly um all next to each other like this well um you know every film obviously has its own um i think that with tap i really had to kind of figure out okay the style and the tone that i wanted to tell and the how i wanted the film to come across and the voice that i wanted to have is for me, it's like I really wanted to build something, especially with horror, how I always look at it is I look at horror like I do a roller coaster. And those of you that may not like roller coasters, when you actually walk up to a roller coaster for the first time, you look at it and you see this looming thing over your head and you hear people screaming and you go, I know that thing is going to scare the hell out of me. And you get on the ride and you go up that big hill and it's tick, 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 you know, ticking to the very top. And as soon as you go over that first hill, I mean, you know that you have no control over it. It's just going to take you on a ride. You're going to scream. You're going to white knuckle the rail as much as you can. And at the end of it, hopefully, you go, you know, as you're breathing hard and sweaty, you're like, man, that was fun. I want to go and do it again. And that was kind of the, the idea that I really wanted to have with these types of films is to make something that was scary. But at the end of it, you go man, that was cool. I'd like to watch it again. And hopefully by doing that is to create a broad enough story that there's a lot in there where you don't necessarily catch everything in the first viewing and you'll want to go back and watch it again or watch it for repeat viewer. So that was kind of nice. You know the goal of it. And then once I had gotten tap actually finished, then I was like, okay, now I've kind of set the, you know, my rules of the road as far as like what I want to do and then just start to expand on it. And with, but with each film, you know, with Tap, I'm sorry, with Devil's Passenger, I really was like, okay, this is the style I really want to make it, where it could be anywhere USA and making, you know, the challenge of that was I had a lot of guerrilla st uh, filmmaking with that. Um, it was a situation where, you know, we had uh, permission to shoot the parking lots uh, sequences and all that, but all the car stuff um, I had to, basically go guerrilla style on and so that was challenging to shoot in intersections when you don't actually can lock up intersections wow. down. So you did the whole thing in, uh, just completely guerrilla from yeah. the car stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. You, you, you don't really have a stunt but you almost have a stunt where the one driver, you have like three cars in a row, one takes off, the other one waits at a green light, someone honks behind them. Right. Like that's definitely like in the category of like you know, precision drivers and lockdowns and stuff like and that. And no AD, no AD. That's just wow. Yeah, that was just it was all just me with on a couple of walkie-talkies and we and we did all of that in 2 days. Um it was shot uh basically we shot um like day and night um for the first day, then we shot all night for the second day and um 
that was one of those things where, you know, you write these things and you're like, yeah, it's set at night. And then when it's like 2.30 in the morning, you're like, why the hell did I set this thing at night? <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but um, that's where like, you know, having storyboards and really leaning into your, you know, knowing that you've done your homework enables you to really make sure that you get all your coverage and everything. And um, we got done with that one. And as soon as I literally got Devil's Passenger out, I went into pre uh, for window dressing. And uh, wow. window dressing, the biggest challenge with that was that the locations were so far apart from one another. Um, the location, the retail uh, location is actually over in Antioch, and um, the interior of the or the storage room is actually in Melpitas. We used a stage on that. Wow. And so there was a lot of logistics with that and we had a lot of moving parts because there was a lot of um, set dressing um, obviously with you know the mannequins and all of that kind of thing and so it was it was a pretty challenging project. That project went uh, pretty long as far as the days go but got all the coverage thankfully and it was just you know, it was a fun shoot. I mean, I like to have fun when we shoot. Um, I like to, you know, with horror, that's one of the cool things is that, I'll tell you, it's like, if your crew is starting to kind of like, oh, getting kind of tired and stuff, bring out like a, you know, a ghost mannequin or bring out somebody in full makeup for a demon. And you just see people right. just get revived. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's where my, you know, little geek in myself comes out and just is like, oh man, this is so much fun. And, um, you know, there's, yeah. there's just nothing like it. And that's the part that's really makes it really cool. And so once we got window dressing out, uh, which just came out a couple of days ago, um, now that I have all three of these, that this is going to be really where I kind of take this and start kind of hitting the bushes and just saying, okay, these are, this is the style and this is kind of how I shoot. Um, you know, these were done, you know, inexpensively and enables me to hopefully you know, start taking it to the next level. Because, I mean, I've had a lot of people already ask if, like, Devil's Passenger is a feature and could it be a feature right. and things like that. And um, I outlined it as a feature already. Um, but I do have another short already pre-written, um, ready to go if we're going to be, if I decide that I want to do another one. So Well, so what is the plan with the three now that you have the body of work? Like, are you going to try to shop them around to different production companies and try to see if you can get someone to fund a feature project like what what is your plan now that you have these three all lined up well it's going to be that it's um i really wanted to be able to i think that one of the main plans also with this is i wanted to have three pieces that were recent uh that were at the highest level i could do right now for me and um that i could use as a showpiece and also i wanted things that to be a little bit on the different side just so that you know i could say okay here's the scene from like how a scene would work from tap but this is how more of a narrative would work with like window dressing and to be able to kind of have those conversations to be able to kind of show to producers or to a production company of like okay you know and this is what i was able to do for you know very inexpensively this is what i this is what I'd like to propose to do for a project. And uh, being that, you know, I'm not looking for that five million number at all. Um, in fact, that's really what I'm looking at is kind of taking it, going the, you know, paranormal activity, Blair, uh, Blair Witch oh, style yeah. and going, okay, let's go in, you know, inexpensive, but let's go, let's make really high concept story and let's see what we can pull off with that. And that's kind of the approach I'm going to go with. Nice. Awesome.
Samia, you have a question? Um, yes. I... I <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's because I'm thinking about, basically... Sorry, I hate to make all my questions about this. Do you care at all about... Um, people who don't particularly like horror yeah my you know it's funny is that um my wife hates it absolutely hates it um and she's my best test audience because my she'll watch like i'll show her a final cut of something and if she jumps in all the right spots then i know i got something that works and um whenever i'm pitching like an idea of like okay i was thinking about this and every time i see her go god that's just a horrible story <laughs> that's when i know i got something that's gonna work and uh, this i remember i was telling her the idea for devil's passenger and she's like oh my god really and i'm like oh yeah that's where i wanted to take it so whenever i get that kind of knee-jerk reaction yeah but it's you know the thing is is like um i think that with horror specifically i mean it's not everybody's thing um, and I get that. Um, but again, it's like, I want it to be, even if you're like not a fan of it, um, I want it to be where it's a fun ride. And so that, you know, that when you come away from it, you're like, man, that was kind of cool. You know, even though you might be uncomfortable, sweaty palms, kind of, you know, watching it from a distance, that kind of thing. But I want it to be a fun ride for somebody. I think that's the thing I noticed about your films. While I'm not particularly into horror, I still really enjoyed watching them. And it's not really the sort of thing I would have elected to watch either. Um, I think what I found really interesting was that you were able to tell such like captivating stories in a very short breath of time. And I think there would... I've actually been watching a lot of like micro-shorts lately. Um, and the one and the genre that seems to have like really mastered how to do that well seems to be horror, because it seems like you can build a lot of tension and a lot of suspense and move quickly towards the climax of a story in a short amount of time. So I was wondering what your process for like writing that was, and what were the difficulties of trying to tell like a really strong story in like two minutes, basically. Well, you know, I come from the commercial world and where it was basically, you know, how do I tell a story in 25 seconds? And because of that, it's just, it's just kind of part of my DNA now. And so when I go to write something, I basically always am thinking like, I want a story that kind of over overlaps really what the time is that we're going to be telling. And so I always think of it from that perspective as a start. Um, but I think that <clears throat> really for what I try to do with these is that what was when I decided to come to horror um, I had been doing I had been writing a lot of comedy right before I started writing uh, tap and what I noticed was that you know comedy and horror have very very similar beats and with the exception of the outcome so but you can really if you can almost take a you know and they have this lot where they'll take a, a comedy um, and they'll recut the trailer to be a horror film or vice versa, and they work. Oh, that's and funny. it's because the, there are such similar beats to it. And well, when I was writing Tap, I was like going, I was writing it, and I'm like, oh, this would be a good place for a joke. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that's where the scare goes. Got it. And so there was a lot of similarity in, in regards to that. Um, but when I like to, and it always comes back to me, it's like, 
how do I tell so much in there that will make it where you'll want to see more of it? And so I will write, a lot of times I'll write things and I'll, I'll cut them out, but I'll be like, you know, this would be something that if this was a feature, you know, I could definitely include in. And uh, so I always try to make, you know, that really, um, that's always kind of part of my process. And I think also the thing that um, I always try to do is, is that, you know, with all three films, they're all, you know, it's all women as far as leads go. Um, I cannot stand the horror thing where it's like, you know, basically woman is being chased by mass assailant and they fall down and they make bad decisions or stupid decisions. I like to, I always write my uh, women characters to be very, very strong, very resourceful, um, really, I want them to come across, you know, where you're like going, I would do that. If I was in that predicament, I would do that. And that's what I'm always trying to write as far as like characters and making sure that they come across that way. But all your characters lose in these movies. Well, I didn't say they're, they're not, they're not comedies here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I saw Happy Death Day in the theater when it came out, which is a a Blumhouse film, Mm -hmm. you know, female protagonist. And, uh, you know, that was a really great example, I think, of a strong female character who starts one way and has a real great growth into this this different person by the end of the film. And I haven't seen the sequel. I don't know, um, you know, how good that one is. I, I kind of actually I really want to. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's different in a feature. But, you know, I always like kind of look at like the sort of Sarah Connor sort of, um, you know, journey where it goes from you know, this, this, this sort of victim who becomes the, you know, the killer or not the killer, but like the, you know, the hero, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I kind of think that's a really interesting route to go. It is a little cliche. Um, but I still enjoy it quite a lot, but, uh, but yeah, it's like your characters basically like are taking the first half of that journey and then, you know, they end up, uh, yeah, yeah. Bad things happen. <laughs> Bad things happen. Sorry, gang. Not making comedy yeah, here. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so um, my my main question is, like, you know, you got these three films. Like, like is the plan mm-hmm. with Flix Horror to try to really do your own sort of Crypt TV where you're creating your own audience and you're going to, you know, get a bunch of different content on there and, like, you know, generate a bunch of views and do that whole thing or was it really just like a sample to show people what you can do? Like, like were you planning on these basically funding more shorts, like and monetizing these short films or where were you, where was your head at with that? Well, I think kind of both. I mean, it's uh, when, so I set up Flix Horror um, on YouTube about a year ago and I made every mistake you can possibly make when I started with YouTube. Um, because really what I didn't really realize that what YouTube was about Um, I thought I was under that impression of like you put a movie up you get a bunch of views ta-da you know move on to your next one and it's not that at all and now that I understand what (laughs) YouTube really is um, I've really embraced what it it's all about because I love that I get to actually interact with my audience and for the first time ever you know I've done that at film festivals and things like that but I've never had it where I can interacts so immediate and I love that part of it and it's also it keeps you really honest because I've had people that have given me very you know uh, sometimes 
pretty hard to hear feedback. <laughs> but the thing is, is it makes you know, depending on if it's constructive or not, and most in most cases it is. Uh, it really will help uh, shape me as a filmmaker, and it's really given me a lot of great insight of like how things are working and how things are not working. Um, but when I set up um, uh, Flix Horror, I really was under the idea of like, okay, I'm going to put these up, and I want to see if I can build a horror audience. Now, does that mean it's going to be, you know, a huge audience and tons of views? I don't know. Um, I really wanted to just see, I wanted to make a channel that I wanted to watch. And these are kind of the films that I wanted to see. You know, if you look at like Crypt TV, uh, for example, which, you know, they're, they are just killing it right now. I mean, they have tons of content, but their content is very specific. I mean, it's very gore based. Um, and you can really, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a style that they like to do and they have just figured out that model really successfully. And there's another channel that's called Alter, uh, which is a little different, um, has more of a, I would say that's more of a mixed bag of styles in there, but very good content that they're creating. And so for me, I just wanted to make something that really kind of represented my style um, and to see where it would really go. And I really wanted to learn YouTube. I wanted to understand how to be able to make a successful YouTube channel out of it too. And so, um, as I was under the impression that, you know, when I was making these other films, I mean, I used to be very much like Vimeo is it, I'm never going to be on YouTube. <laughs> and, uh, it's for a while there. I mean, Vimeo had the better compression settings and, and right. still, they still do actually when it comes to really dark content, like, you know, if you're shooting at night, uh, their compression still actually is pretty better, um, or is better. But the, what I have found is that Vimeo has really kind of fallen off when it comes to everything else. I mean, their statistical data is pretty weak. And YouTube has just been churning and just making better and better stuff. And um, and so now right. I've just decided, okay, you know, when I decided to make these horror films, I'm like, I'm all in for YouTube. And I'm going to just, I want to use these as a learning experience for myself, but also as a showpiece. So to answer your question, yes, kind of both to those so did you ever think about just putting your shorts on Flix Digital, like these new horror shorts, and just kind of have them all in one place? Or was it always like, no, I, I want to keep them separate? I wanted to keep them separate because Flix Digital was more of like, okay, these are all genres and samples. And that was kind of one of the mistakes that I made. You know, with YouTube, you need to make a channel that's specific to, to one thing or to, a, you know, to certain things. Um, and Flix Digital, I had basically made all these different genres and some films had worked and some films hadn't. And I think the main reason was is the audience was kind of pretty much confused by like, I don't know what kind of content is going to be created here. And that's not really what you should be kind of looking at from a YouTube perspective. You should be going, okay, you know, let's make it where they can come to a site and go, this is, it's like a channel for like, you know, like a TV station. Like if you get a... Right. If you go to ESPN, you know it's going to be sports. If you go to HGTV, it's going to be home and gardening stuff. If you're going to go to HBO, it's going to be movies and shows. You know, it needs to be kind of like in that kind of a box uh, so that your audience understands it. And well, yeah, and I'm no YouTube genius or anything, but I I, don't, I kind of disagree with that. Like, I kind of feel like 
it's more important to just have content than it is anything else, you know? And the fact that you had so many movies on there already and you'd already kind of built up a little bit of a following, you have like a thousand subscribers, which, it, you know, isn't a ton, but it's something to start with. Like, I wonder, like, if you had put those three shorts on Flix Digital and just really marketed it, if you would have gotten the same kind of attention or maybe even more, you know, because there's all these other movies that people have already seen. You've got more subscribers, more people are exposed to it. I, I mean, I'm just spitballing. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but... You know, that's sort of been my thought process with, you know, especially the podcast. It's just like more like consistent content. Like that's the most important thing, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and what, you know, we're, we're focused on, you know, indie filmmakers and, and all that. But we kind of go all over the place as far as our topics, you know, and I don't really think that's hurt us necessarily. Um, but I also maybe it's a completely different sort of thing to try to compare the two you know well, i think that for um, the the podcast though it it falls still under you know these are filmmakers they make you know all these different types of films but still these are filmmakers and we're going to be talking to filmmakers about filmmaking so that in itself is it's is what the content is um i think that for me i mean when i was messing around with flix uh digital was that when I kicked out like the last three, I was seeing like lower responses on each one of them. And from what I had been gathering and um, I started just doing a lot of homework on YouTube. And for the last two years, all I've been doing is just, you know, I took some classes on it and just um, that were available online and just went through and just wanted to understand, you know, how this thing really worked and you know it's a community it's it's definitely a marathon it's not a sprint and you know taking it from that perspective of like okay i'm going to create this content i'm going to create hopefully things that are at a consistent level um and that has really worked because I, when i started flix uh, horror i had zero subscribers and i went from zero to i think we're at like 400 and something now um in a year and that's only been with four movies and so you know I am seeing a, you know a, a growth there I'm seeing and the audience that do subscribe to it are really into it and so it's you know it's a definitely a rich audience and as far as that stuff and they do watch the content multiple times and so that I think has been a, a really has worked for my stuff as far as how I've taken it yeah so Look, do you feel like you are going to do another short film after this or are you just going to sort of wait and see? And if you did do another short film, like would the point just to be to keep on building that audience and growing the YouTube channel or would it be to, um, you know, like get more attention to like kind of raise money to do your first feature? Um, okay, there's a let me see if I can get all those questions. <laughs> um, as far as everything goes, I think that my next step is to really take what these three and, you know, really start kind of shaking the bushes and seeing what I can kind of drum up as far as, you know, taking this to a, like a feature project or to an episodic or something in that regard. Um, the That being said, you know, and just getting window dressing literally done just a couple of days ago, um, it doesn't mean that that is going to be my only avenue. Um, I am going to probably continue. Um, I'm going to start kind of getting everything moving forward with the new script. The new script is called uh, You Killed Me and uh, getting that kind of moving forward. I like to have projects always going. And I think it's really important as a filmmaker to always, you know, you just can't 
sit back on your laurels and be like, well, I got these, I just made three films, so, you know, Hollywood's going to come a-running. Um, you know, you just, you always have to kind of, you know, always have to have something in the works. And so I'm going to kind of do, uh, I, I guess, kind of take it from both perspectives of like, you know, obviously trying to work it, but also having uh, another short that I'll be, you know, getting ready to go with. Right. Well, speaking of monetizing, I just noticed that you don't have ads on your YouTube channel. Right. Um, was that spe- like, why did you decide to do that? Well, you know, the the rules of YouTube changed um, about a year, a couple of years ago. And now you have to have uh, so many views that you have to have 4,000 views and you have to have at least 1,000 subscribers before you're even eligible to be monetized. And, oh, really? And that is, and that's part of that whole thing of like, you know, building an audience that's really, you know, worthy of your content and making something that, you know, people really want to see your content. This, I guess YouTube kind of maybe got, I, I had heard that there was like some uh, some pushback in regards to their advertisers a few years ago and, and that's why they changed all this stuff. Uh, Interesting. Do you, do you know about any of that stuff? I, I, no, I just, I knew that there was some rule change that like really affected a whole bunch of people and like people who were making money off of YouTube basically had to like get jobs because <laughs> suddenly they, they couldn't actually live off of YouTube the way they had for right. like the last five years or whatever. Uh, the details of that, I don't really know what yeah. those are. Um, what I guess I was trying to get at with my question was like I feel like you've proven to yourself and to the world that you know this genre well that you you have really great skills. Aww, like thanks, man. I feel like <laughs> the like making a fourth film. The the only reason I would the fourth short. I mean, the only reason why I see making a fourth short make sense is if you want to continue to build the audience and if you're working towards monetizing your YouTube channel. Right. If that's like your goal. Otherwise. It feels like you should just make a feature, yeah. Because you've already got the proof. Features are going to make more money than than shorts are, anyways. Um, or you can actually make money with a feature where you can't really make money with a short, you know, unless you have like forty of them on a YouTube channel that's popular, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, like what do you think? Like, do you feel like it just sort of depends on like what opportunities you have. Like, like why wouldn't you just make a feature at this point? Well, no, I think that that's a, that's a really good perspective is that I think that at this stage now it's like, it's time to really, you know, see if, if I can do that. Um, and, but again, it's like, I liked, you know, having been doing this and having been a producer um, most of my life, you know, it's always about having a plan B and which is that if, um, you know, I want to go out and see if I can make a, a feature with, you know, either with one of these shorts or with uh, some of the other scripts that I've written. But if um, if that decides it's going to take longer or it's going to be another process, I'm going to have another short that I'm going to continue working on. And so I think to answer your question, I am definitely going that direction, but I'm also going to have another short that I can also do for, you know, to build my channel, to build my audience and to, you know, build the monetization. So you're basically going to do both either way. Yeah. And that's just how how I work. I mean, I've always, I like to have multiple projects always going. I'm always working on something. Um, And it's just, that's kind of part of the DNA. And I think it's important for filmmakers to kind of be always doing that too is that because that's also you know the the next project that I'm doing is a very very ambitious and very big and that's also something that might be the next 
you know, step, which would be, you know, and as I've, um, it might be that I have to raise money for this short, and if I do, then that also kind of can say, okay, I, I've raised money. This is, you know, this is done performed this well. Now let's, you know, it could really help me when I decide to kind of go down the feature route. Well, well, yeah, I feel like raising money for uh, the short film is going to be challenging. Well, not challenging, but it's like if you raise money for a short film, then you're going to be in a situation where you're going to have to raise money for um, the feature uh, right after. Yeah, totally. I think that would be challenging. Very much so. You know, so like maybe if you're going to raise money, you might as well raise money for the feature, you know, and just do that because if you raise money for a short film and then like a, a year later you're trying to raise money for a feature, it's like depending on where you raise that money, if it's crowdfunding or whatever, you might have like limited yourself, especially for crowdfunding. Right, you know? right. Um, yeah, we'll just have to see how the, where the road takes us um, because, I mean, yeah. right now it's – I think there's a lot of, you know, there's – I need to kind of, I haven't really done this before as far as really marketing myself that way. I've been kind of like heads down making films and just been under that, um, that perspective of like, oh, the work will speak for yourself, uh, for me. And I don't really need to really do that much, but that's not how the business works. And so, you know, really going out and, um, now making the content now starting to market it, um, as myself and what I can do, it will be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, um, my last question, and I don't know if you have more questions to Mia, but basically for these films, like how have you funded all these? Are these just self-funded or like, how are you getting the money to make these shorts? Yeah, everything is self-funded and, um, which has been in doing this has been kind of part of the charm of it is that, you know, I wanted to put my own money, kind of put, you know, your money where your mouth is with this and, and really making it where, um, you know, just leveraging as much as I could from a producer's perspective of like, how can I do these as inexpensively as possible, yet kick out the highest output I could possibly do? And so, you know, there was a lot of like freebies and a lot of favors and, you know, everything necessary to really do that. But I think that what's been, has happened from all of this is that I've been able to build a really, really great uh, crew and cast um, as far as doing these things, because I've used um, pretty much most of the same crew on all three films. Um, and I've rotated some actors as far as this stuff goes, uh, but it's really enabled me to be able to attract um, actors at a, at a really high level uh, for these things because they can see what I'm really trying to do with it and they can see the quality level that I'm at and that, you know, that I'm real, what I'm trying to do, and and they understand once I've actually t- they've had a chance to talk with me as far as like what the goals of the project are going to be, and and understanding all of that stuff, and I think that like you know with um, with window dressing, when I cast uh, Elaine Partnow who plays Clara, you know Clara has a unbelievable background. She's been acting and you know in everything, and she was like you know I had, she's done some shorts but hadn't really done that many. And she was just like, you know, when I was explaining all this, she was like, really, this is how you're going to kind of approach it. And I'm like, yep, this is going to be the style. And she, she just was all in, um, came up from LA to do this and just really just knocked it out of the park and just was so much a, a joy to work with. And Colleen Kelly, who uh, was also in Window Dressing and in Devil's Passenger, is also from Los Angeles. And, you know, this was like one of her first projects ever 
um, to really, you know, this type of a project. And she had always done comedy and had a heavy improv background. And it just enabled me to be able to attract that type of thing. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping that we can continue to do with this is now, you know, with this body of work to be able to keep attracting just the best folks that we can possibly get to really tell the best stories we can. Nice. Awesome. Samia, you have any last questions for Dave? I'm just curious, what do you think the next step in your process is? And where is it that you, what do you, basically, what do you see yourself in the next few months and what projects are you really excited about? Well, I mean, I think that the, this next step um, is going to be, um, you know, there are some film festivals that Devil's Passenger has been submitted into and now that it's been, you know, what, eight months, <laughs> something like that. Um, I should start getting responses back. We'll see where that kind of takes me. Um, the response of window dressing has been really, really strong so far. Um, it's actually performed better than any of my other films that I've done so far, which has been awesome. Knock on wood. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. It's really pretty, you know, it's kind of, you, you put all this work into these things and a lot of times you just kind of get into that silo of like, oh my God, is this going to even work? And it's just really satisfying to see that the audience really takes it. And, um, but you know, it's, I think that the next stages are going to be like, um, we had talked about where, you know, just really going out and now taking all this work, uh, these three films and just, you know, starting to do the meetings and really starting to, uh, shake these bushes as far as production companies and, you know, just really talking about, you know, taking, you know, this is what I've been able to do with very little money. Let's now take this as an idea of like making it into a feature or taking one of these ideas and kind of breaking this into either episodic or web series and which all of these are things that I've been really kind of considering for the next stage so yeah I I generally I basically think the um the one with the car I can't remember what it's called right now the devil's passenger the devil's passenger would make a really good feature because it feels like at the very end she's being dropped off meaning she's had a whole journey meaning the bus is now looking for its next victim. So I like that as being a recurring series. Yeah, yeah that, that, there's a lot there. It'll be a fun one. That's the one I've, been, I've had the most requests to make a feature out of. Yeah, I think it's because it has a sense of continuity and return and like this sense of like, actually you've basically created what can be a very good um, platform to make different stories with because it starts with and ends with a different person each time. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and then the journey that they go through in that van could be whatever you want it to be. Right. Like they could be actually in a van driving around or they could be in another dimension somewhere else. Like there's the possibilities are endless of where they could be. And why do I, they always come out so beat up? You know, yeah. I know. That's the big question. So. Yeah, it's cool. It's got... Um, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's got lots of room for like um, the occult as well. Um, mm-hmm. Well... I like this, sometimes I like this like hybrid when like the, I don't know if the occult is the word or when it comes to witchiness and horror kind of like have a marriage. It always creates really interesting results for me. Um, and I can almost see that happening with that story. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun to kind of see where that went, how well that really is received uh, within like the film festival circuit, but also just to see how, you know, with the the outline that I've written for a feature really delves into a lot of what's going that journey and it's 
it's definitely a crazy ride as far as that one goes. So that's gonna be fun. So, um, do you do you know why Devil's pa- Passenger got so much more love than your other two? I mean, one just came out, so it's like you know it remains to be seen. But um, like, did you do anything differently, or did you just put it out the same way as the other ones? I think that Devil's Passenger just is very different. Um, you know, you look at like a lot of the content that's out there, and it's usually somebody in a in a house, and you know that kind of thing. And to do something that was on the road and, you know, has this mobility uh, component of it and, you know, it one of the, the influences that I really kind of show throughout that is that I, I tried to make it very much like have a, a John Carpenter vibe to it where it has this loneliness to it. Um, we shot uh, two, three, three, one aspect ratio, so it's very widescreen to just really always make it feel very desolate. It's like she's in the middle of like, you know, this these roads and you see other cars, but there's never anyone else there. And that was the thing that I think that has really spoke to a lot of folks. Um, I think the other side of it is is that, that um, it can be perceived and it can be read in a lot of different ways. And, you know, and that's, I've had a lot of people <laughs> send me email as far as like, this is what I think actually happens. And I, and I love reading that. It's just fun. Um, and some of them are, are pretty cool. And I think that that's, that's what makes great horror is that when you can have a conversation after and go, you know, this is what I think it happened and maybe somebody else doesn't agree with that and has a completely different perspective. And I think that's great. Uh, that's great right. storytelling. So why didn't you do your other films in 239 just because you didn't feel like the story, it serviced the story to do so? Or? Right. Yeah. For window dressing specifically, because it's a claustrophobic type of a feel, um, it just didn't speak to it. And I really wanted to make sure that that film had a very much of like, you know, once it goes, once we go down into the storage room, it just keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And right. doing something widescreen just really wouldn't have felt right for that. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just such a big fan of the the aspect ratio of uh, you know two three nine two three five whatever you want to call it. I just think it's really beautiful, and uh, it's my favorite mm-hmm. uh, aspect ratio of all the aspect ratios. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I one of my shorts is sixteen sixteen nine. You know, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It was basically basically done because of the apartment that we were shooting in as advice from my cinematographer to shoot in that format just so we could see more of what we wanted to see in that specific film but um i don't know i just think the 239 is just great (laughs) yeah i can't is it i'm always blanking on it i i'd say there it's two three five or is it two three three i always so so (laughs) it used to be two three five back in the film days right Mm -hmm. um but then when we went to digital cameras with red and alexa it became two three nine so that's the actual um you know aspect ratio that you actually have for the new digital cameras um so I just call it two three nine or two 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 one four you could say, but it's actually two three nine or two three five is like how it was classically, but I think you just call it you know whatever like two three nine or you can call it it's it's kind of like cinemascope but not but not really right. sort of gotcha um yeah anyways I don't know it's it, that's more of a technical thing but I just love the aspect ratio a lot yeah and it's, I, well I'm a big beautiful. one on just making sure that and. And whenever I sit down with the DP, though, depending on what the story is, um, I really want to make sure that the frame is going to tell the story in the best possible way. Right. Um, the 
the new film that I'm writing right now, or just finished, um, um, You Killed Me, is definitely widescreen. And, you know, I've written it for widescreen. There's, there's gags that work for widescreen on it. Um, and there's going to be, you know, it's really important that it's shot that way. Um, yeah. And that will play to it pretty successfully. Um, but, you know, it just, I think that, you know, you just have to always look at what, you know, and again, it comes down to a personal preference too. I mean, you, a lot right. of folks, that's how they shoot and that's great. Um, I think for me, I'm always kind of, I'm very aware of like, when do I want things to be claustrophobic or when do I want it to feel tighter and when do I want it right. to feel wider? So Right, right. So, uh, so Dave, where can people find your films? Where do you want people to go? And which one should they watch if they're going to watch one? <laughs> um, well, they can, they can find my stuff at Flix Horror on YouTube. And um, the order that is probably the best to actually see it is to... You can, the latest film is called Window Dressing, but if you really want to see it in the order that we've been discussing in this podcast today is to see Tap, Devil's Passenger, and Window Dressing in that order. Uh, but you know, hey gang, watch it however you want it. Um, <laughs> it's if if you enjoy it, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. You know, I answer pretty quickly, so I'd like to hear what you have to think of. You know, what your thoughts are about the films. Yeah, I I suggest watching all three because they're very short. And if you like horror, they're great. And I guess to me, if you don't like horror, right, they're pretty great too. Yeah, if you don't like horror, there's still a lot to gain from watching it. Um, yes, I I loved watching the window dressing. I just thought the woman at the end was so sinister. <laughs> spoiler oh yeah sorry I shouldn't spoil it but it was really good and it was really beautiful and very well shot oh thank you yeah well they're all very well shot and very beautiful the third the third one window dressing I really like because it's it's such a classic like it feels like a 70s or 80s um like horror short that would either be like in creep show or you know tales from the dark side or Twilight Zone even like it just kind of feels like that type of thing and you know I made uh I guess two shorts that feel that way you know so I totally or trying to feel that way I guess uh so I totally I totally dug it I loved it and I love Devil's Passenger I just I rewatched Devil's Passenger and Tap this morning and they're all very fun and uh really you know enjoyable to watch so uh, congratulations thank you so much gang appreciate the yeah. kind words I mean, that's like the, to me, you know, forget like the fundraising and the accolades and the film festivals. Like, I think just making a movie that other people like, like that's the most important thing. (laughs) So you've done that. (laughs) And that that really is the case. I mean, you just kind of like, when it all is said and done, um, you know, if you can show like, you know, show one of your films and people jump in the right spot or, you know, that's, to be honest, is that's the best thing ever. So aside from all the rest of it, that's the thing that just makes me sleep well at night is when I'm like, I just scared the crap out of my audience. (laughs) You know, it's funny is that when, you know, having done other genres, this, um, one of the things that was fun was that, you know, I made stuff that, you know, was very emotional and would make you cry or make things that were very, um, you know, funny and things like that. And to have people go, you know, your film basically made it where I can't sleep for the next week. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess pat myself on the back for that one. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, it's just that's the world that you live in when you make horror. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. And then what about social? Are you on Nef- uh, Netflix? Are you on Twitter? Are you <laughs> not, on... I'm on a, not on Netflix yet, but I'll be there soon. Well, um, soon, soon. Yeah, not soon. Uh, 
Knock on wood, and I'm knocking on my head right now. So it's as far <laughs> as uh, social media, yeah, you can find Flixhor is also available on Twitter. It's available on Facebook, um, or you can go under Flix Digital, which is the basically the umbrella company that makes all this stuff. And right. that is also on Instagram, and uh, we have that also on Facebook. So either Flix Horror or Flix Digital, you can find it, or you can find it with me, Dave Bunsen. Which one is better for them to follow if you um, have to pick one? Flix Horror is, is going to be um, pretty much where all the latest updates for anything that's going to be horror-related are going to be at. Nice. And then if you want to get in contact with the if yeah, if you want to get in contact with us, <laughs> <Take two. laughs> you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com uh, and you'll find show notes to things that we talked about in this episode. I'm going to put all of Dave's old movies on there just so people can see those and, of course, the three new ones. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I'm Ulrich B on Twitter and Instagram, and Samia can be found at... Samia of the Interweb. Uh, that's on my Instagram. Um, all other social medias are dead to me, so... Okay. <laughs> Instagram. You don't care about Twitter. You don't care about Facebook. It's all Instagram. Basically. I mean, I've tried to use all the other ones, but I failed at it, so I'm just concentrating on Instagram now. And then do you have a certain uh, show that you'd like people to watch oh, yes. when you're done watching all the horror stuff? All right. Thank you very much. Yes. When you're... <laughs> As Davis pointed out, the horror is actually quite similar to comedy. Um, I think the natural segue after you've watched Dave's amazing shorts is my show, Uneasy the Show. You should totally check it out. It's fun. I'm in it. I am bubbly in it sometimes, but mostly depressive. <laughs> <laughs> but check it out. Okay. No, no, it's a. I can, I, I can, uh, you know, uh, be a spokesperson. It's a very fun show, um, and people should watch it because it's really good. And you know, it's uh, bingeable. Probably what, like an hour, Samia, roughly. Yes, thank you. You're so nice, Ari. <laughs> Well, you got to support the local filmmakers, right? You know, and of course my co-hosts. Um, and then if you like this show, uh, you can help us out by telling a friend. You could get the word out by leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, which would be really great. We had a few reviews come in um, at, in May, which was really wonderful. Thanks to the contest that we did with uh, Just Shoot It and some other podcasts. Um, but yeah, keep them coming. If you guys like the co-hosts, if you like the show, uh, if you have advice for it to get better, uh, yeah, reviews are a great place to do those things. Um, and we also have a Patreon page if you want to support the show and um, you know help it keep it going. You can go there. I am planning on rebranding the show, which is this is like hot news. I just decided to do a new logo um, and probably make some merch and restructure the Patreon page. So. You know, if you're not into the Patreon now, maybe in like three months you will be because there'll be hats or T-shirts and all kinds of good stuff you can get for being a patron. So keep it, keep, stay tuned, I should say. Um, but yeah, but the, Dave, thanks for a great show. And Samia, uh, great to have you on as always. Um, great to be here. Any so last much. words from you guys before we get out of here? Well, thank you, gang, for, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and I can't wait to see the rebranding of Making Movies is Hard. <laughs> Thanks. I expect it done by tomorrow. No. Okay. <laughs> On it. <laughs> 
As part of our rebrand, we'll have something. Maybe a chopper pick you up the next time. Right. Exactly. We'll, we'll upgrade from a limo to a helicopter. Oh, exactly. nice. Oh, the PA is like <laughs> waving me over. I'm, I guess I'm supposed to get into a chopper now. So I yeah, guess I yeah, gotta yeah. go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week.